0: start this morning off we've been talking about the series this is the victory we've been talking about faith and one of the things that we have uh, as a sort of barometer of our faith and a foundation of our faith is something called the apostles creed and this morning i want to go through it i want to uh i want to read it i'm gonna read it first and then we'll all read it together but this apostles creed has been around since some people say as early as 190 ad and uh, this is basically uh the foundation of our faith that if you can Commit this to memory or know this somewhere in your life. If somebody ever asks you, what is the gospel? You could basically go through this. Hillsong recently put it into a song, and uh, it is going through this whole thing, uh, the Apostles' Creed. It's just good to know and good to say. So I'm going to read it first, and then we'll all read it together. So you just kind of get it in there. It says this, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit Amen. And so this has been said for thousands of years by believers all over the world. Some denominations like to do it every single week, and that's cool. Uh, We like to do it every now and again as the Holy Spirit leads us. So let's do this together, shall we? And we'll do it. uh, You can just follow kind of the commas, and we'll do it that way. I believe in God the Father. Sorry, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Amen. Like I said, if you can get that in there, that's the gospel. And uh, that's basically what we've been talking about. This is the victory. This statement here allows us to have the victory because this is what we believe. We believe that Jesus, on the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge both the living and the dead. And so that's why, on one hand, we have this awesome ability to have our sins forgiven. On the other hand, we need to be warning people that Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. And so that's our motivation, because of his love, to tell people the good news. Amen? Amen. Uh, As we, this is cool. uh, Anyways, moving along here. uh, Over this next week, uh, this whole Passion Week, this is just sort of a fun little doctrinal thought. There are 330, over 330 Old Testament prophecies about the life of Jesus. Over this course of this week, a majority of those prophetic words were fulfilled in this last week. Now, probability-wise, if Jesus only fulfilled 10 of those prophetic words, it would be the equivalent of, of filling the state of Texas with silver dollars. Okay, so imagine the whole state of Texas filled with silver dollars up to your knees, and then you had one chance to find the one silver dollar with the red X. That's the probability of just fulfilling 10 of those prophecies. Okay, that's basically an enormous number, right? For Jesus to have fulfilled all 330 prophecies, it would be like marking one atom in the universe... And having only one chance to find that Adam. That's the number. The number is, you know, zeros. I think there's something like 17 zeros after it. The probability of Jesus fulfilling. So you see here the magnitude of the wisdom of God. For God, it's nothing, right? Because God sees time, you know, just kind of like it's on a table. And he can just see it. So he can say, oh, yeah, this is going to happen here and here and here. And so he can just send the word back a thousand years. And be like, "Oh, prophesy this. Now say this. Now say that. Now say this. Now say that. And then it just happens, and because he can see it. But for us, 330 different prophecies from. The way Jesus enters into the, into, the, into Jerusalem to uh, even the, the the bartering for his uh, underwear, essentially on the cross, happens in those moments. Every single thing happened according to God's plan, and that is awesome, and that's why we have these statements of faith to be able to say, this is the God that we believe in, and these are all the aspects about it, from the virgin birth all the way to the, the ascension back into heaven. Every single thing happened according to God's plan. In fact, it says in Revelation, before the foundations of the world, the lamb was slain. That God already knew the plan before the plan had ever been initiated on earth. So we see that God is a really good God. Amen? Amen. So we're talking about this, and, and the reason we're talking about these things is because that we live now in a victorious world, but we have a battle to fight. Right? And the fight is the good fight of faith. Now, this is different than just sort of, uh, you know, everything else that's going on. As We don't really fight any other fight that the Bible tells us to. We're only supposed to be fighting the good fight of faith. Okay? Let me read this verse to get us going this morning. First Timothy 6.12 says this, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord, I pray today that as we hear this word, our faith would be built up, Lord Jesus. And as our faith is built up, we would go and we would share the word. I thank you, Lord, there's even today people on our heart that we know who would come to Easter the resurrection Sunday gatherings if we invited them. Lord, and I pray you'd give us the faith, the boldness and the grace to bring them with us next Sunday, Lord, to celebrate your resurrection. Lord, that people would come, Lord, they would come because their hearts are open and they're ready and they're willing. People would come from all over this city into this house next Sunday. Lord, I thank you right now as we hear the word, our faith to be built up. And everybody said, amen. amen and amen. So this, what we're talking about here, the, the good fight of faith, it's, it's nothing new, right? For thousands of years, believers just like you and I have been fighting this faith. Now, uh, I mean, from different eras, you know, the Roman, area, Roman era, there was like this whole season where people were being burned, and that's where we get the name of Roman candles, you know what I mean? They were being burned at the stake and all these things. Our fight, while similar, is not maybe as intense yet, but the fact of the matter is we still have a fight to fate, uh, a fight, to, a fight to fight. Right? We still have a good fight to be able to battle. Every, sing, every single day in, day out, we have to be battling for our faith, to have faith, to walk in faith, or walk by faith. Every single one of us just has to do that day in and day out. And it's increasingly hostile in the world, yet that's okay. That's why we're talking about this. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So we're talking about how to fight the good fight of faith on a daily basis. And this is the only fight that we're supposed to be fighting. Okay, We're not supposed to be fighting against people. Right? We're not supposed to be fighting against governments or things like that. We're supposed to be fighting the good fight of faith because it's in the fight of faith that we we are able to walk in the victory that Jesus gave us. Amen. Amen. Just a reminder, you got seven amens to give out, so be generous. Okay. Circumstances, life, mistakes, other people, all these things will either accidentally or purposefully kind of rob our faith. And so our fight then is really not to have faith, it's to keep faith, right? To keep moving forward, to keep believing Jesus, to keep saying, yes, God, I'm with you. I mean, I love that song, Jesus at the center of it all. That's a big fight right, on a weekly basis, right, just to remind ourselves that Jesus is the center of it all, that I'm not just living here for wages and for pleasure, but that Jesus actually died for me, and therefore my life is now given over to Him entirely because I have made the decision to do that, and so Jesus be the center of it all, not just at the center, but Jesus be the center of not just my life, but Jesus be the center of the church, right, when we come in on Sundays, we're, we, we worship and we spend time in worship to remove all of the carnality of the week. And the dust and the smog of life, and we get it off and we say, This is just a reminder that Jesus is the center of it all. And that's why we do we're gonna have prayer next week just to remind ourselves in the center of the week that Jesus is the center of it all, right? And I want to encourage you, we we, we no no groups next week, just prayer come seven thirty. Adjust your schedule. Like Paige said, not only is it good for you, it's good for us to stand in the gap of this city. God knows we need more people praying. Amen. And we are those people who pray, right? Okay, good. So moving along here, I want to talk about five hindrances to our faith and things that will keep us and hurt us from moving forward in our faith. The first one is a lack of understanding about the new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So if anyone is in Christ, and that would be us in this room here, if we're in Christ, we're new creation. And therefore, the old things have passed away. Now, part of this is we talked about this over this series is that part of our life is getting into this renewed state of mind our mind has to be renewed because of just the the way sin nature works on earth everything decays everything degrades and things like that if you put a plant on a table if you don't water it or give it sun it's just going to die that's just the way it is if you don't work weight if you don't lift weights or you don't stretch or whatever you're going to lose two, at least 2% of your muscle every single year right so there's this idea that we have to be maintaining and Stretching and moving our faith forward. However, we are instantaneously new creations. And so, our job, if we are in Christ, is to constantly have our lives being renewed. Constantly remind ourselves that we are new creations. Ever have a where you're maybe struggling with a thought and you're like, man, I just can't get this out? Just remind yourself, I'm a new creation. New creations don't think the way old creations do, right? I don't think this way anymore. I'm a new person in Jesus, so I don't have to have... I don't need to struggle with these thoughts because my mind has been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. One of the amazing and, and greatest aspects about salvation is just that our sins have been completely forgiven past, present, and future. Not. Uh, it's awesome. All of our sins that we ever did in our past, the minute we say, Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and Savior, all those sins are wiped away any sins you're going to do today, and I know that probably today you won't, maybe tomorrow you will, but even the sins in the future, all those sins, Jesus Christ has already forgiven, which is awesome, but he doesn't go there. He doesn't just say your sins are forgiven. He actually calls us higher, calls us beyond poverty, beyond just getting by, beyond just living on the corner of Grumble Street and and no finances. God says, no, I want to give you abundant life, but it is this idea that if we don't understand that we're new creations and that God wants us to to move forward and have abundant life that we'll get stuck just being like, I'm just barely getting by. But God says, no, I want you to have more. But if we don't understand that we're new creations and that this new creation is to walk like Jesus walked and to have the abundance that Jesus had, then we'll be stuck and we'll be battling this fight thinking, why am I just making it? Is this all God has for me? And God's up there going, no, I've got so much more for you, but you got to stretch your faith. Amen. Amen. We are new. We are now. It says this in Ephesians: says we we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, which is awesome because as we read in the Apostles' Creed, Jesus now sits at the right hand of the Father, and it says that we become children of God, heirs of the promise, and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, is anybody here the son or daughter of a real human king at the moment? Nobody that I know of, right? Because I'd probably see your tithe check. I'm just kidding. All right, I'll just relax, just relax. My wife looks at those things. I don't look at them. So, right, we none of us are heirs per se, right? But we have an heir in heaven. We are now heirs according to Jesus Christ. And therefore, whatever God has, he has for us. Amen. Okay, no one, okay. Yeah, you guys don't care. That's fair enough, right? We, we have whatever God wants for us but it's all in the word and we all got to believe it. We got to fight that good fight of faith to receive it. Amen. We also have eternal life. This is not our final stop. We're living for something greater, and that's eternity. If our faith is on the things in earth, then it's going to be weak and feeble. But if our faith is in eternity and it's seeing what is really ahead for us, which is a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, and a new earth, if we're seeing that, then guess what's going to happen? Our faith is going to rise up. It's going to explode and burst, and it's going to lead us to be more victorious in life. Amen? Amen. Amen. The second thing, a lack of understanding of our place in Christ. There's like 130 plus verses in the Bible that have the phrase in Christ, in whom, or in him. These are all reminding us of of our place in Christ. Jesus, and this kind of goes, uh, kind of descending here from the, the, uh, the whatever you call it, the new creations, like we're new creations, and now we're in Christ. We're no longer in the flesh. We're no longer in the carnal. We're in Christ, and because we are in Christ, we have, again, all of these air. We have a huge inheritance that's ready for us. 1 John 4.4 4 says this, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So greater, who is the one who's inside of us than anything around us, which is why we don't have to battle each other. We're not fighting people. We're fighting the one who's in this world. But here's the best part. Jesus is greater than him. So it's really not much of a battle because Jesus has already defeated the devil, our primary enemy. So we just got to stretch our faith. We just got to fight that good fight of faith. We're battling and saying, no, my faith is in Jesus, not in this world, not in anything else. It's in Jesus, right? Colossians 1.13... Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated, translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. We were under the power of darkness. We were in this, we were enslaved to sin. Jesus saves us, and now we're translated into the kingdom of God's Son. We're now living in Jesus' kingdom. And so everything that's in Jesus' kingdom, everything that's in God's kingdom, is now our kingdom, and we can operate accordingly. There's healing. There's blessing, there's grace, there's love, there's joy, there's peace. There's all these amazing things for those of us who are in Christ. Amen. Yes. I feel like I'm preaching better than you're amending. just, just for the record. <clears throat> okay, <laughs> Ephesians 1 11 says this in whom in him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Basically saying we have obtained an inheritance in Jesus Christ. And God already thought about it. And so therefore, we have been purposed to have it. That's really awesome. God purposed and planned for us to walk in his blessing. He planned for us to be blessed. To have goodness in our life. He planned for that. That's how we know he's a good God. Go through the word and search for those phrases in him, in Christ, in whom. And then start saying those things about yourself. And I guarantee you, you'll have a life change but it's not just about understanding our place in Christ it's also about understanding his place in our life yeah. right and that's where we we remind ourselves and sing those songs Jesus at the center of it all meaning he's in the middle one of my favorite verses is in James it says you know I mean God he he, he gives us good and perfect gifts and in him there's no shadow of turning and the phrase in the in the original language shadow of turning is that God is at his zenith which is the the perfect like high noon essentially, that there is no shadow because the brightness of God's glory is around you and it's so perfectly above us. It's so at the center that there can be no shadows on anywhere on earth. And so he's saying, this is the good God that we have. This is the, the good God that we're serving. And, and there is no darkness in him whatsoever. And he longs to give us good and perfect gifts. But at the same time, it's also representing his place in our life is that Jesus, is always at the brightest, always at the center, always at the perfect place because he's the center of it all. Literally, right? The sun—we all gravitate around the sun spiritually, right? S O N. That's called the double entendre. Does he have the preeminence in in our lives today? Is he in first place, or is he like one A? And I mean, no, there's got to be just one, and then. You know, 99, Jesus is all one through, you know, he needs to be the center right in the middle of it all. Amen. Jesus can't be just a side hobby that's, you know, just kind of relegated to Sunday mornings for a little bit. You know what I mean? Because there's donuts or whatever, but it's got to be because Jesus is at the center of it all. And I'm placing him there Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Number three, number two, uh whatever one number one. The next one. Number three, lack of understanding of our righteousness. The lack of understanding of our righteousness holds a lot of people in bondage. James five sixteen says this confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now if you were righteous, your prayers would be heard. Sometimes the devil likes to bring those lies into us. I mean, well, if you really were righteous, we know you're not righteous. And that's the devil. He's always lying and always telling us what we're not. God's always telling us who we are, right? So the devil comes along and says, well, if you were like Elijah, the previous verse says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Okay, now he had a nature like ours, which means essentially the Bible saying Elijah was just as much as a sinner as you and I are. It says, he prayed and the heavens did not rain for three years. And then he prayed again and the heavens opened up and it rained and there was great abundance. And it says, confess your sins one to another and pray that you may be healed. It says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And what James is saying by the Holy Spirit, he's saying, basically, we are all righteous because of what Christ has done for us. And therefore, we should be effectively and fervently praying so that our prayers can avail much because we're righteous. amen i love the the, the beginning of that verse because it says the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much and so we have to how do we know if we're praying effectively are you praying according to the word if you're not praying according to the word it's never going to be effective are you praying fervently there's times when you you need to pray and you're just like you know it's maybe at a, a whisper or a, you know, a voice kind of conversation levels. But there are some times when you got to pray fervently, yeah. right? Which means you got to really pray for this. In the, in the picture that they're giving here of Elijah, Elijah went up on this mountain and it says that he began to pray with groanings. And the, the, the original language, the Hebrew in that moment is basically saying Elijah is essentially giving birth in prayer. That's the intensity, the fervency of the prayer that he's praying. Because the heavens didn't rain for three years, and so he's on his he's on his side and he's praying and he's asking God, Lord send the rain, bring the rain, whatever, and he keeps sending his servant, and his servant comes up five or six times, like there's nothing there. And he's like, Go back again, go back again, and finally the servant comes back, and he says, I just see this little cloud about the size of a man's hand, and Elijah pops up and he says, Go tell the king it's about to rain. And this guy gets in a chariot and starts racing off to tell the king, but Elijah is so, he's so like just passionate that he runs past the chariot and gets there before the guy in the chariot does. That's fervency. Sometimes, a lot of times, if you're trying to work something out in your prayer life, it doesn't just get it. Lord, please make it happen. Sometimes you got to sweat a little bit, and maybe you got to get in the fetal position and rock back and forth, or whatever. But you got to get fervent. You got to give birth to something, and that's what has to happen. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Amen. Amen. I'm preaching this morning. Psalm 32, 1 and 2 says this Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Whenever you see the word impute, that means something big just happened, right? He didn't impute iniquity to us. That's the New King James Version, probably the other one say forgive it or whatever. You know what I mean, but the idea is that God Remove the iniquity off us. He took away. He forgive us. Remove the transgression. The word transgression or trespass is basically another word for sin, but it's saying there's a boundary that God has put in our life and we've transgressed. We've trespassed out of the boundary and now we're out of bounds. And so God says, come on back into where you need to be. Come back into my presence, back into church, wherever it is. And I'm going to remove that transgression. It's going to be as though you never even crossed the line. Thank God that he did not impute iniquity on us because of the righteousness that we have in and through Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses of all time, which FYI, all these Bible verses are my favorite ones. says, for he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become. Say that that I might become the righteousness of God in him that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see a sinner, doesn't see a wretched worm, doesn't see a, you know, somebody drowning in the miry clay. These are all illustrations that David gave us in the book of Psalms. He doesn't see those things anymore. He sees us like he sees his own son, perfectly righteous. You say, well, how does this, how does a lack of right understanding about our righteousness, how does that affect my faith? If you don't think you're righteous, then you will not talk to God the way you're supposed to talk to God. Right? There's this fine balance between I'm coming in humbly and saying, God, I know it. But there's also the signs that, well, Lord, you owe me this. And neither of those are the right ones. We come humbly. And the Bible says to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And God's basically saying, come in with my word, asking, expecting, believing, effective and fervent. That's how a righteous person comes in. Well, my kids, if I'm in a meeting, they'll just come busting right into the office, right? And Dad, I need a Cheeto. It's like, yeah, right now, you know what I mean? Do you need it right now? I'm just going in the bathroom. You know what I mean? Can we just wait two minutes? I mean, but that's that's the way that it is when when they know they can just come straight to Dad, right? Same thing. God expects us to come. Now God never goes to the bathroom. Thank God for that. Other gods do. In fact, there's a Bible a story about that. But God, God never has it, so He's never interrupted by our prayers, and we can come boldly to Him and say, Lord, I need help. Here's what your word says. Make it happen in my life. I believe it, right? Amen. Then you say, sometimes we get in this place where it's like, well, what happens when I'm a Christian and I, and I do sin? Anybody, don't have to raise your hand because the answer is yes to everyone. Anybody ever felt that way, right? Like, okay, I just sinned. I'm unrighteous. What am I supposed to do? Well, James tells us, he says, number one, confess your sins one to another. Now, that doesn't mean we need to sit in a circle this morning and start confessing all of our deepest, darkest secrets. But you need to have somebody in your life, aside from Jesus, who you can say, you know what? This just happened. And if it's somebody that keeps prolonging, you know what I mean? Sometimes you just have to deal with it with yourself, with God. But sometimes if you cannot get over it, you need to go to somebody. Right? Confess your sins one to another. Because what happens is when you bring it into the light, God says, here comes my love. Here comes my forgiveness. It's so all you're already forgiven. But it just, I'm going to shower my love on you so that you don't keep getting further and further and further away. Just come right back into the light. And then what happens, the second thing that happens is that God cleanses us from all unrighteousness. How much unrighteousness? All unrighteousness. He gets us clean, gets us moving in the right direction, gets us pointed and said, go for it. Number four, a lack of understanding about acting on the word. And we've been repeatedly saying that we need to have a better, more robust understanding uh, when it comes to the word. And we say that. Why? Because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word. Right? Right? cannot express how important it is to read, to eat, to memorize, to talk about the word, to speak about the word, to study the word, just getting into the word. That's why we have these city groups so that we can get down on a finely tuned granular level and we can talk about how the word affects and shapes our life. Right. We can hear the word. That's why we have a Bible reading plan that happens every single day so that we can just get little pieces of the word every single day. Just like having a little bit of breakfast. you got to feed yourself on the spirit as well. Get in the word, get in the word. when you have a greater understanding about the word, you'll begin to act on the word better. Yes. Amen. Proverbs three, five says this trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. All you have to do in any situation is ask What has God said or what does God's word say about this in my own life? That's all you got to do. Any situation you get in, what has God already said about this? If God's spoken to me that I'm already healed or I'm already blessed, then I can begin to just act on that word, right? If God says, if you don't know what he says, you got to go in there and say, well, what does God's word say about this? God's word can answer every single question that you have in your life. Do you believe that? Right? What about this? Just go to the word. What about this situation? Just go to the word. Even, I mean, last fall, it was kind of reading through the Proverbs, and it was like I was reading, you know, like a handful of Proverbs every single day uh, from like different chapters, and it was like perfectly mirroring what was going on in the election. Why? Because God already knows. God knows exactly what the timing is and exactly what's going on, and so He wants to remind us this is what my word says. This is what my word says so that we can begin to act in it. Trust is an action. You act upon your trust by believing what God said and believing His Word. Don't try to believe. Just act on what He said. Amen? Amen. Amen. Number five, the last one here. A lack of understanding about our confession. What is faith? Believing and speaking. That's right. Believing and speaking. Because we, we, we don't confess the word enough, we tend we to be timid when we start talking about Jesus right now, there's a lot of, sometimes the devil wants to make us feel awkward. If you pray with somebody one-on-one, it can be sort of awkward and, and the devil wants you to feel that way because if you feel awkward, then you're going to be less inclined to do it again, right? It's going to be weird. You know what I mean? Like uh, one of the guys I work with, uh, we go a couple times in the morning and just go pray at this little coffee shop and uh, we're the only two there. We're, you know, bowing our heads and praying. And, and if, if I really thought about it, it would be like, that could be awkward. But I've just chosen to get over those emotions and those feelings and saying, you know what? I don't care about how awkward I feel. I'm fighting the good fight of faith. I'm praying. He needs prayer. I need prayer. We're gonna we're gonna pray for each other and pray for the business and pray for the church, and all these different things. And and we're gonna just ignore the world system around us and say, no, we're gonna pray. And that happens in our life. We have to make sure that we, we, we get out of the awkward. We do that by confessing the word. Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So we're supposed to hold fast or hold on to the confession that we have. Our hope is in Jesus. So we got to hold fast on that confession. Romans 10.10 One of my favorites. Again, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You want to be saved? You got to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Mark 11.23 For assuredly, this is Jesus speaking, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, okay, whoever says, not whoever thinks, not whoever wishes, not whoever hopes, not whoever writes on the whiteboard, but whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Let's all read that last line together. He will have whatever he says. You say, are you a name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, blare it, and snare it, preacher? If the word says it, then I am. Some of you are like, what is he even talking about? There's a whole like kind of charismatic theology. All you got to do is just say it and it'll happen. Well, according to the word, if I'm saying what the word says, then yes, I can have it. But some people took it to the extreme. You know what I mean? I'm going to walk into McDonald's and I say, I got a McPick 2 for free. You know what I mean? It's like, well, they didn't. You know what I mean? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about saying whatever the word says. You know what I mean? You can go out there and walk around a Bentley seven times and say, I have a Bentley in the name of Jesus. It may not happen. If it does happen, let me know. And then you can gift it to the church. (laughs) But that's not what we're talking about. We're saying, what does the word say? Whatever the word says, that's what I can say. And that's what I can have. He will have whatever he says. Be removed. Get out of my way. Boss, no kidding. That's what we're talking about. We're saying, what does the word say? Be removed mountain, be removed obstacle. This is not going to keep me from fulfilling God's purpose in my life. Be removed awkwardness, right? Be removed shyness or timidity. Be removed. You know, impatience, whatever it is, be removed and cast into the sea, whatever he has, whatever he says, he will have whatever he says. And all these words, all these verses are coming down to one basic concept, and it is speak the word. Say the word. Say it out loud. We say this all the time. Prayer is saying something. Prayer is not thinking. Prayer is saying something. And we see this over and over again, especially in the Gospels. Jesus is. T- people are praying to Jesus verbally. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. you got to do something about my child. He's sick. He's a weirdo. You know what I mean? Heal him. You know what I mean? That's kind of the modern translation. But you get the point. Prayer has to be said out loud. Prayer has to be spoken. And so we bring that down now to the personal level. The word has to be spoken. Say the word out loud. Con- without, there is no faith without confession. Why? Because faith is believing and speaking. Confession is faith's way of expressing itself. Faith is like love. Okay, Some of you ready for a love lesson. There is no love without word or action. That's a deep thought. There is no love without word or action. And so this whole week, as we celebrate the Passion Week, it is the perfect expression of love for eternity. It is both the perfect mirror and mixing of word and action. Jesus didn't just talk about how he loved people. He says in John 3, 16, you know, I mean, whoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. He says, there is, what does he say? In John 3.16. Anybody know what that says? For God so loved the world, right? That He gave His only begotten Son... so that whoever would believe in him, he would not perish, but have everlasting life. So we see this perfect mi- uh, mixing of word and action. Not only did Jesus say the word because he was the word and everything he said was perfect, but then he proved it to us by laying his life down so that every one of us could be saved and every one of us could know what love is. And he even says it greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for another. So not only did he say it, but he also proved it. It through action. Love is not love if there's no word and there's no action. Faith is not faith if it's just believing it's got to be believing in speaking. Amen. Love is not love if there's no words and no actions. You can I tell my kids all the time, almost every single day, sometimes twice a day, that I love them, right? And then I show that I love them by making them mow the lawn. Right? <laughs> Why? Because Jesus says, all who love me will, will obey my commands. I take that to right. If you love me, you will obey my commands. And then Jesus goes on to say, but my commandments are not burdensome. And if you find yourself in your faith and you find that serving Jesus is burdensome, then those are the wrong commands that you're following. Right? If you feel guilty all the time about serving Jesus or you feel shamed all the time, those that's not serving Jesus. That's working and striving for some sort of approval from people around you. Right? Right? If you got to do selfies to let people know that you're reading your Bible, I don't know, that seems burdensome to me. Right? Oh, just having a great time with Jesus this morning. Anybody else, you know? That seems like a really torturous, I mean. You know, that seems like a really burdensome way to serve the Lord. You can serve the Lord, and nobody would even know sometimes, right? You can read your Bible, and Jesus even says, look, if you're going to go pray, man, sometimes you got to go to a secret place. You don't need to announce to everybody, okay, I'm going to go pray because I love Jesus so much. You know, you don't need to do that. You can just go pray in there. But sometimes you need to pray for somebody on the spot, out loud, in front of everyone. And it's in those moments that the effective and fervent prayers of a righteous person will avail much. Amen. Amen. Do you love him? You got to let him know. You got to say so. You got to show him, right? If we love God, we talk about him. Just like I talk about my wife and my kids and my new laptop. I I love those things. (laughs) Our confession pinpoints our location in life and it sets the boundaries of our life. And we could do a whole message on boundaries and maybe we will someday soon. But a lot of people have boundaries backwards. They are wide open to the bad stuff of the world and closed to the good stuff. Think about how many people will not receive the gospel, right? They'll not receive the love of another person, but they'll gladly welcome in the filth and the disgust that this world system has to throw at them. I would rather be verbally abused and I would rather be manipulated by people than to come into a church where people actually like me. And we think that's ridiculous. No one would say that. But we see it in their actions, right? I, a, couple, uh, a couple years ago, it was like Memorial Day weekend, and I invited someone to church. And they are like, oh, I'm not going to go this time. I'm going to be busy. And then I saw on Facebook that they were just at a bar. And I was like, man, what kind of world do we live in where somebody would feel more accepted at a bar than at the church? And that's backwards. Now, part of that is the lies of the enemy deceiving them into thinking that that is truth, that those are deep relationships where nobody knows your name. This isn't cheers, okay? This is cheers. We're all cheering for Jesus and cheering for each other and everybody knows our name. So we're like, what is he talking about? Don't worry about it. You can re- watch that in Hulu. But the idea here is that we're com- creating a community of believers and we're saying, look, we're here to encourage each other, to build each other up. And that's why on a Sunday, we need to be more outgoing and loving on each other because we all know what we're going through throughout the week. Don't hide off in a corner and sit back there, you know, hoodies up or whatever. No, let's love each other. Welcome each other. Be free. This is the place where we should be able to be ourselves. And if you feel like you can't be yourself, come talk to me and I will let you know you can be yourself. You say, well, my self is still growing and, and, and being renewed. So what? We all are Right. That's how we can come together and we can celebrate Jesus and celebrate what he's done and put him back in the center of our life. You can have, and we're closing on this, you can have what you say, whether it's unbelief or belief. Your confession will affect your direction. And this is why a lot of believers walk around anemic and weak in their faith. They have some general sincerity, but they have no boldness in the word. And when we look at that verse that Jesus says, he says, And you have to say to that mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. We have to be able to speak the word with boldness. I think if you get up to that mountain and be like, well, Jesus said, be removed and cast into the sea, question mark. And I mean, that's not going to go anywhere, right? But you have to be so impassioned and full of faith that you have to say, get out of my way. Be removed and cast into the sea. And that's what we have to do with the word of God. Be bold in our confession. And when we do this, our faith will abound And remember, this this is the last thing I'll say here, and we can all stand as we close. You can all stand as we close. Your faith will never grow beyond your confession. And so when people say, I don't feel like I'm growing or I don't feel like I'm moving forward... What has your confession been? What has your confession said about yours? Do you believe that Jesus is moving you forward? Do you believe that God is ushering you into a new era or a next level or a new renewal of your life? You are responsible for your growth. And at the same time, we want to be around people who help us grow because their confession will affect our confessions, which is why you can come in here and you can say, man, I didn't have a great week, but guess what? I'll say to you, but this week is going to be better. Why? Because our confession confession is going to affect our direction and so we're going to start speaking the word because the word says the path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter unto the perfect day we're going to believe that we're going to go from faith to faith and glory to glory and everlasting everlasting because that's what the word says our faith is going to help us to grow and we are going to become greater and stronger and more like jesus because that is what our confession is if you believe that shout amen amen i said shout amen Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you today that your word says about us.